Well, good morning. It is so good to be here. As Blaine said a few minutes ago, we're delighted to have everyone here this morning for our friends and family day. If you're visiting with us, you truly are an honored guest. We're so, so glad that you're here. And we hope you'll stick around for Bible classes, then a meal. We have some great cooks here. I think David calls our uh, fellowship meals, keep your fork fellowships, because you have to go back and get more. Um, so please stick around. We'd love to have you. And anytime you're available, please come visit us, be with us. We'd love to have you anytime. But we're so glad everyone's here this morning. Several months ago, we had a friends and family day. We, we do these periodically to invite guests and our, our families and friends. And several months ago at one of these Friends and Family Day, I gave a lesson on the church being the family of God. And we talked about Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church, where the church was devoted to one another and devoted to the Lord. They were a tight-knit group. They were together all the time. They were a family. And we focused on that uh, several months ago. So I thought it would be appropriate to focus now on friendship at this Friends and Family Day. Now, there is some overlap, obviously, because many times we consider our friends to be family. We're so close to some of our friends that we just kind of adopt them into our family. And, of course, many times with our family members, those are our closest friends a lot of the times. So there's obviously some overlap here, but we do want to focus specifically on friendship this morning. And there's many places we could turn to to talk about friendship, different verses or passages that allude to friendship or can be applied to friendship. But I don't think there's a greater example of friendship than is found in the friendship of two men, Jonathan and David. We find that in the book of 1 Samuel. That's where we'll be in chapter 18 and here in just a few minutes. But this friendship between these two guys is just, it's, it's really, we, we don't see another picture like it in Scripture, the friendship we find between these two. And I want to draw some lessons from this, their friendship this morning. Before we actually read in 1 Samuel 18, I do want to kind of give us some context here because I think the context helps us understand just how great this friendship really was. If we go all the way back to the book of Exodus, God's people were in Egyptian captivity. Pharaoh had them working hard in forced labor, and they were crying out to God, God's people were. And he heard their cries, and eventually he rose up Moses to be the leader and liberator of his people. God used Moses in amazing ways, and, and the plagues came upon Egypt, and eventually Pharaoh let uh, the uh, Israelites go, and Moses was kind of that leadership figure. And for a long time, Moses was the leader of Israel. He led them through the wilderness for 40 years, up until the point where they were about to go into the promised land. God had promised their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And so they were on their way, and Moses led them through this long period of wandering in the wilderness. Well, we get to the edge of the promised land, and Moses dies. And Joshua, his attendant, he saw some amazing things. Moses' attendant, Joshua, he becomes the next leadership figure in Israel. And he leads the people into the promised land, and they conquer these foreign nations that were already there, and they take that land, and they possess it. And Joshua was that leader through that, through that time. Well, eventually Joshua passes away, and then we get to the period of the judges. And these are people like Samson and Gideon and Deborah and many others. But the Israelites would go through this cycle of sinning against God. They would, they would 
worship false gods, turn their back on the true God, and God would punish them by sending a foreign nation upon them to, to basically put them into captivity and, and uh, basically put them in some hardship. And then God would raise up a judge like Samson or Deborah or whoever it may be, and they would liberate the people. And then they'd fall right back into that cycle of disobedience, and it happened all over again. But that was kind of the period of the judges. They were the leaders during that time. But then came a man who was a, a judge and a prophet, and his name was Samuel. Samuel. So up to this point, Israel didn't have a king per se. It was just these different leaders, yes, like Moses and Joshua and the judges, but there was no official king because God was their king. Well, during the time of Samuel, he was this leadership figure. The people of Israel, they come to Samuel and they say, hey, we want a king, Samuel. We want to be like the other nations and have a king over us. And this displeased Samuel and God because, again, God was their king. They didn't need anybody else, but they wanted someone. They wanted a king. And although it displeased God, God gave them what they wanted. And he warned them. He said, hey, the king's going to take some of your men into war. He's going to take some of your women into service in his kingdom. Just beware. But they said, no, we want a king. We want a king. So God gives them a king. And the first king is a man named Saul, a man who seemingly had all the potential in the world. And Samuel anoints this man to be the, the first king of Israel. And he got off to a pretty good start. But very quickly, that start came to a good start, came to an end because he disobeyed God and Samuel, blatantly disobeyed God and Samuel on two occasions. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 27 and following, Samuel tells Saul, your kingdom is going to be torn from you and given to someone better. How'd you like to hear that if you were king, that your kingdom was going to be torn and given to somebody else? Well, that somebody else who was better was a man named David. David, the, one of the greatest kings of Israel, right? And so David would become the next king. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel anoints David, the, the, the son of Jesse, to be the next king. Now, it wouldn't be for several years before David would become king. Saul would, it would still be reigning, and it wouldn't be until he passed away that David would reign. But nonetheless, he was going to be the next king. Well, his popularity grew like crazy because in 1 Samuel 17, he killed Goliath, right? He, he killed him with that stone, and, and then everybody loved David because he had slain this giant that was basically coming out and, and making these threats to, to the children of Israel and in defiance of God. And, and so David went out there and fought him and defeated him. And when he comes back from this defeat, look what we find in 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 and seven, it happened as they were coming back from the defeat of the Philistines, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So the women are coming out celebrating this victory over the, the Philistines and in particular killing of the, the giant Goliath. And they're giving praise to Saul, right? Hey, he's killed his thousands. But David, David's killed his ten thousands even more because he defeated this giant that they didn't think that they could, could defeat. And so they're giving more praise to David than they are to the king, King Saul. Now notice the very next verses how Saul feels about this. Then Saul became very angry, 
for this saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me, they've ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. So he sees that the people are praising David and he gets jealous. He's like, what more can David have than the kingdom at this point? Now remember, he'd already been told that the kingdom's going to be torn from him in 1 Samuel 15. And so maybe he's thinking, okay, maybe that's the guy. Maybe David's the guy that's supposed to be taking over after me. So he's, he's worried that David, David's this threat to my kingdom. So from that day on, Saul had his eye on David. He was suspicious. He was kind of paranoid. The rest of the book, Saul's trying to get rid of David just about. Almost the rest of the book of 1 Samuel, Saul tries to kill David on multiple occasions, throwing spears at him, chasing him down to try to kill him, and David's on the run for his life. So it's within this context of Saul's kingdom kind of on shaky ground, David's going to take over one day. It's within this context that David and Jonathan's friendship flourishes. And here's what's so interesting about this. Jonathan is the son of Saul. The, the king, King Saul, his oldest son is Jonathan. So in everybody's mind, including probably Saul, Jonathan should be the next king. John, it should be passed to him. After Saul dies, it should go to Jonathan as the heir, as the, the oldest son. And so you, you might think, well, Jonathan might be a little jealous too of David thinking that the, the kingdom's going to be given to somebody else. Maybe Jonathan would be angry as well and, and want to get at David, but we don't see that at all. And that makes it so much more amazing to me that Jonathan and David become best friends. We don't see any hint of jealousy or anger or strife between David and Jonathan. It's the best friendship that we see in all of Scripture. And so thinking about this, all of this, let's look at some things that point to uh, the friendship of Jonathan and David. We're going to pull out some lessons here. The first uh, thing that we see is in uh, 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 4, with uh, Jonathan and David. Here's what it says. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul, David had finished speaking to Saul about the, after the killing of Goliath, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with, him, with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So a couple things I want us to notice from this. The first interaction we get from Jonathan and David, we see from the beginning, they are close. But I want you to know, number one, a true friend will love you as they love their self. A true friend is going to love you as they love their self. You see, every single one of us, right, we all want to be taken care of. We all want what's best for ourselves, right? It's just kind of how we're wired. We want to be successful and have good things happen to us, but we can't be so wrapped up in ourselves that we miss relationships with other people. And so Jonathan didn't. He didn't miss that good relationship with David. He loved David just as he loved himself. He saw David as like an extension of himself. That yes, I, I want to be taken care of and I, I want to, to be successful, but I want that for my friend. I want him to be cared for and, and to be loved just like I want that for myself. He, he loved David just as he loved 
himself. And we see that twice in this passage, that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And you know, it reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew 22 when someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he starts off by saying, you've got to love God with everything, with your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second is like it to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And we see other passages like, do unto others as if they were you, right? And that's what a true friend does. They love their neighbor as their self. They, they, they do unto others as if it was done to them. And that's what we see Jonathan doing for David, is loving him as he loved himself. Secondly from this, a true friend is committed to you. A true friend is going to be committed. Notice Jonathan and David, they make a covenant this binding agreement or a pact. In a Brown, Driver, and Briggs um, lexicon, they actually, one of the definitions of this word, covenant, in their uh, lexicon is an alliance of friendship between David and Jonathan. Jonathan and David made this alliance, entered into this pact that we're going to be friends with one another. We're going to be by each other's side through it all. I'm not going to turn my back on you. You're, I'm not going to turn my back on you either. They were there for one another. They were committed to each other. We know a covenant is supposed to be something that's binding, something that you're not supposed to break. And that's what Jonathan and David entered into was a covenant of friendship. That I'm going to be here for you, and you're going to be here for me. And this is, just, this is the first interaction we see. What a, what a close friendship these men had. Now, some uh, interpreters disagree on what exactly Jonathan's doing in verse 4 by giving David his tunic and his armor and his belt and all this type of stuff. Some say that he was just giving David some appropriate clothing to work in the kingdom because he was a shepherd, probably didn't have the best clothing. So Jonathan's giving him this clothing to kind of honor him and so he could work in the kingdom of Saul. Others say that uh, Jonathan is giving his right of uh, kingship, you know, the kingdom coming to him, he's giving it to David. That might be part of what's going on. I think what, what fits best with the context is that this is kind of like a pledge of the covenant. That I'm giving you my, my robe, my armor, my, uh, my sword, my bow as a pledge of this covenant. And every time you wear these, you see these, you remember my friendship with you. And, and of, course when, of course, when David put those things on or had the sword or whatever, he probably remembered that close friendship that he had with Jonathan. And so from the beginning, we see a true friend in Jonathan with David. A, a true friend is going to love you as they love themselves, and they're going to be committed to you. Let's go one chapter over to 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. I told you uh, just a few minutes ago that Saul, he looked on suspicion with David at David. And he wanted to get rid of him. And we see that happening here in 1 Samuel 19, starting in verse 1. Now Saul told Jonathan his son and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he's not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? 
So Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, and Saul vowed, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. So Saul is ramping up these threats. Hey, I want, he tells his servants and Jonathan, hey, I want David gone. So if you see him, get rid of him. And obviously, Jonathan, he loves David. We just looked at that. He doesn't want anything ha- bad to happen to, a, to his friend. So number one on this one, a true friend is going to protect you. A true friend protects their friends. If there's any harm or danger, a true friend is going to do whatever they can to come in the way of that harm and danger so that it doesn't hurt you. That's what a true friend does. They don't want to see their friends hurting. They don't want to see their friends in a bad position. And so they're going to try to protect you. And that's what we see in Jonathan. His, his father, of all people, is ramping up threats against his friend. And he, said, he goes to David. He says, hey, listen, there's a problem here. My father wants to get rid of you. So, number one, hide yourself. Get out of the way and be on the alert. Be on guard. Make sure you're aware of what's going on because my father wants to get rid of you. So he, he goes to David and makes sure that he's protected so that no trouble will befall him. Secondly here, a true friend is going to stick up for you at all times. A true friend is going to stick up for you at all times. Notice that Jonathan goes back to his father and he speaks highly of David. He goes back to his father and says, Dad, like, David hasn't done anything bad. In fact, he's done the opposite. Everything that he's done has been beneficial for you. He killed the Philistine. He took his life in his hands by going against Goliath. He won this great victory. Don't, don't do this by, by killing innocent blood. And notice, because of Jonathan's words about David, the positive words, the truthful words, Saul's anger was kind of subsided for a moment. Now, we'll see in a minute, it, it ramps back up. But for now... It says that Saul vows, hey, he's not going to be put to death. Here's the thing. At this point, Jonathan easily, easily could have taken advantage and been like, you know what? This this should be my kingdom. I'm going to talk bad about David so that we can get him. He could have gone back to his father and devised this plan and said, yeah, you know what? He is a sinner. Let's get rid of this guy. But that's not what we see because he's a true friend. He speaks positively about David and, and turns the, for, uh, the, the anger of Saul around. And it's so easy to talk bad about people behind their backs. It's so easy to backstab our friends or backstab others. But it's not what we see from Jonathan. He stands up for his friend and speaks highly of him, even to the man who's trying to get rid of him, even his father. And so that's what a true friend does. He's going to protect you. He's going to stick up for you. Let's look again uh, at another passage in 1 Samuel chapter 20, just one chapter over. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What's my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he's seeking my life? He said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Yet David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. 
Saul, again, is ramping up his threats and is trying to get to David, trying to get rid of him. And it seems at this point, now in Jonathan's mind, he's gotten uh, his, his father to calm down. Remember in the last chapter we just looked at, Saul vowed, hey, I'm not going to put David to death. But it seems now Saul's not telling Jonathan because he knows that they're good friends. He knows Jonathan and David are good friends. So he's not going to disclose it to, to what he wants to do to David, to his son, because he knows he's going to go tell David and he's going to get away. And that's what David says. He's like, no, listen, your father really does want to get me. I'm just one step away from dying by, by your father's hands. David's convinced. And Jonathan's like, no, no, my father, he would disclose this to me. But David convinces him, like, no, he really is trying to get me. And notice what Jonathan says. Whatever you say, I'll do for you. Whatever you say, I'll do for you. So a true friend will do whatever needs to be done for you. I've heard of many people over my, my, my years in the church, they're the kind of people that at the drop of a hat, if you need something, they're going to be there. People that, if it's, if it's midnight or beyond, you give them a call, they're going to answer and they're going to be there. doesn't matter what you need them for, because that's what true friends do. They're there for you when you need them the most. They're there for you when you need them the most. And that's what Jonathan was for David. When he needed him the most, Jonathan was there. And he says, I'll do whatever needs to be done for you. Whatever. And so that's what a true friend, a true friend does. I found a, uh, a, a, an illustration about friendship. There was a, a British publication once offered. There was a prize for who could define, who could provide a definition of a friend the best. And uh, there was a lot of different uh, submissions for this. Somebody said, one who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. One who understands our silence. Somebody said, a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. Someone else said, a watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. But the winning submission says this, a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. A true friend is one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. And I feel like David was probably at that point feeling like he, he's on the run for his life. He's probably feeling dejected and probably scared and anxious. But Jonathan's right there. And he says, I'll do whatever needs to be done for you, David. Whatever you need, I'm going to be there for you. That's what a true friend does. They're there for you when you need them the most. And that's absolutely what Jonathan was for his friend David. One last passage we'll look at here is in 1 Samuel chapter 23, a few passages over. Uh, we could look at a lot more here with, with David and Jonathan, but I do want to point to this one. And this one to me is the most important one. So fascinating to me. David's again on, on the run here. And so we're going to start in verse 15 in ver of chapter 23. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horesh while Jonathan went to his house. What an amazing passage. What I want to point out here is a true friend is going to help you draw closer to God. 
That's the most important mark of a true friend is that it's, he's going, he or she is going to help you draw closer to God. That's what a true friend is going to do. I love how other versions put this. The NIV in verse 16, uh, the version we just read says that he uh, strengthened, encouraged him in God. But this says, Saul, son, Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Helped him find strength in God. Think about the situation again. David's on the run for his life. Saul's trying to get after him and try to kill him. David's got to be exhausted. David's got to be downtrodden. He's got to be sad and anxious again. I know we've already mentioned that. But to have somebody there to say, let me, let me, let me point you to God. Let me help you find strength in the one, in the true God, the only true God who can really give you strength, who can really protect you. Let me help you draw closer to him. What a great friend that is. Jonathan was there to help David find strength in God. No doubt David was a godly man. No doubt Jonathan was a godly man. But you know, sometimes we struggle. And sometimes we go through times where we're, we're down. And I feel like David is there right now. He needed somebody to point him to God. And Jonathan was there. And Jonathan encourages him. And he says, hey, my, my, my father's not going to find you out. You're going to be the next king, David. And he encourages him when he needed it the most. That's what a true friend's going to do, is point you to the Father, draw you closer to him. We can learn so many more lessons about David and Jonathan. There's uh, situations where they, they weep together. And I, I think about the, the verse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And we see that with Jonathan and David. Many other times they make covenants with each other. And we saw that here in this passage too. But all we see is a good friend from Jonathan to David. And back, David back to Jonathan. But I want us to look at all the things we've talked about this morning. There's no doubt Jonathan was a great friend to David. He proved himself loyal over and over again. But take a look at all the things we've covered here this morning. True friend loves you as they love yourself. True friend's committed to you. A true friend will protect you. A true friend will stick up for you. A true friend's going to do whatever needs to be done for you. And a true friend will help you draw closer to God. Is that you? Are you that type of friend to the people in your life? Are you the type of friend that can be counted on? That you're going to be there when they need you the most? Are you that friend that sticks up for those in your life? Are you that friend that protects others? What do people think about when they think about you? Are these the things that they think about? I hope so. And I hope we all desire to be the very best friend that we could be for the people in our lives. To be there for them. And most importantly, to help them draw closer to God. That's what we need to be doing. As friends, as Christian friends, we need to be these things that Jonathan was for David. A true friend. So, could these things be said about you? And if not, why not? Why not work on it today to become the very best friend that you could be for the people in your life? But here's the thing. I'd be remiss if I didn't point to this. We're going to make mistakes sometimes. Sometimes we're not going to be the, the best friend that we need to be. Sometimes we're going to mess up and we're not going to be there like we should be. But I want to tell you, there's a friend that's never going to let you down. And it's Jesus Christ. He's the very best friend that you could ever have, that any of us could ever have, is Jesus Christ. And I think about the song, 
there's not a friend. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. If there's times where you ever feel alone, like you don't have somebody, I hope you know that you have a family here at Creekwood, friends here at Creekwood. But most importantly, I hope you know that you have a friend in Jesus Christ. He's never going to let you down. And when you enter into a relationship with him, you'll never be the same. He bore our sins on the cross. He took care of our greatest need, and he's always there for us. We can always go to him and find the help that we need. He will guide till the day is done. He's the greatest friend we'll ever have. So that's what we need to seek most is a friendship in Jesus Christ. But let's seek friends with one another and be the very best friends that we can be for one another. This morning, maybe you haven't been that friend that you've needed to be for somebody. Maybe you found yourself slipping and you want to get on track. Or maybe you've, you've lost that friendship with Jesus, that great friend who's never going to let you down. If you need prayers, we want you to come forward. If you want to give your life to Christ this morning, we would love to pray with you and talk with you about that. And we'd love to baptize you in the waters for the remission of your sins. If you have any need this morning, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.